it's uh, Remembrance Sunday, and each year I recap. So this is Armistice Day is on 11th of November, and is also known as Remembrance Day, and it marks the day World War One ended at 11 a.m. on the 11th day, the 11th month in 1918. Two-minute silence held at 11 a.m. to remember the people that have died in the wars. There's also Remembrance Sunday every year, which falls on the second Sunday of November. The anniversary is used to remember all the people that have died in all wars, not just World War I. And this includes World War II, the Korean War, the Falklands War, the Gulf War, conflicts in Afghanistan, Iraq, India, in present day, Ukraine, and Israel. It's also a communion service. So, as we remember a broken, war-torn world, I guess my aim this morning is to bring into the foreground the living God, Father, Son, and Spirit. What else have we got as humans but to remember the living God? How else can we truly have hearts fixed? Hearts of war or grieving hearts fixed without having the living God in the foreground of our hearts and minds to make us ready and statements of worship and praise as we come to the communion table. And I guess my text for this communion service is John chapter 15, verse 13, which won't be a surprise to many of you, and it's written on the many gravestones of soldiers that have given up their lives for people. And it's this, and it's best in the King James Version, Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. The soldiers have done it. The Lord Jesus Christ did it. And heroes today are doing it across the world. But for a Christian, that verse has a double meaning on days like today. Because though the noble death for friends is the highest virtue that we could probably offer, the Lord Jesus is actually also talking about his death for people with war in their hearts and sin in their hearts and lives. People who by nature war and rally against others. And he's dying to tackle that problem, the core and the cause of all wars, the fallen human nature. And we need both in mind today as we remember all of these things and come to the communion table. I think it's accurate to say today we remember people that died fighting for certain freedoms, privileges, virtues and principles that we probably agree with and would like to see kept and we defend them if they come under attack. When we feel under threat in certain areas, we're willing to die to protect them. And these values in the sovereignty of God, we actually touched on last Sunday, like things that we just assume should be in the Western Empire, like equality of all people, compassion towards the weak, consent, and education, and the sacredness of human life that secularism can't seem to account for. 
You remember last week, I sort of tried to make the case that these virtues are higher than just like secular, godless worldviews, which is full of strange juxtapositions which can't quite explain themselves. I venture to say, if there wasn't the sacred dimension in the West, and if there wasn't a living God, no one here would really hate war. Who cares that people die? But you do value life, and people died because they valued life. No one really would care too much about hate or life and death, or really want an end of war if there wasn't this sacredness, this value in the West. And we touched on that a bit last week. So I've got a question then for this service this morning. During the two-minute silence, as we think about people who've died to defend certain sacred truths that we hold so dear, what do you think about in the two-minute silence? Anybody asked you that before? I won't give you two minutes to think about it. I'll give you five seconds. What do you tend to think about during those two minutes? Well, there's probably loads of good answers to that one, isn't there? But one of them I think we definitely should think about is how can we use the resources that people that have died for us to have, how can we best use them for the furtherance of society, to be good to others, to be good people? We should definitely think to honor those soldiers, how can we be good and not to be a person of oppression myself. That one should be going through our minds to really appreciate the sacred values of the Western Empire that certain people have died to defend. And then, I want you to think about Glenn Scrivener's video who said, did you notice what he said about the Lord Jesus Christ? He called him a walking, talking armistice. Should we be that? as we honor those that have fallen. Can we be that in and of ourselves? The records show, I think, actually in the world history of mankind, there's only ever been really one of us who has truly been a man of peace and not war. And even if he does fight wars, he does it for truly noble reasons, to secure peace and good for people. So, as we reflect on who we are this morning and we honor the, f- the fallen and where we're at now, furthering the world going forward this year and next, surely we should be asking, wherever you are on the spectrum of life, should Jesus Christ feature in my thought process this morning? Should, where does he feature in my life if I'm to be virtuous and noble and to honor other people truly. My friend, he wrote a book, and he said this, the Lord Jesus Christ was like an asteroid that hit planet Earth, and asked that sort of impact. And in that book I mentioned last week, Dominion by Tom Holland, who's not a Christian, he's a historian, he masterfully shows like the values and principles that we love in the West, and we're glad people died to keep, like uh, utterly affected and underpinned by the Jesus asteroid 2,000 years ago, which were unlike any other empire's values at the time. 
the virtues that people died to protect, Tom Holland says, is a ripple from the Jesus asteroid that hit. So I guess my message this morning, I'm asking us evangelistically really, because I don't know where all of you are spiritually, do you think you need Jesus in your life from what you know of him, whatever that might be? On days like today when you're like, right, how can I best live to honor people? Do you think Jesus should fit into your world view? Perhaps you're not a Christian and today's the first time you've ever really thought about it. Here's another one for you. Can you be truly godly without the input and help of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you good without him or without the asteroid ripples that he's showing us today what goodness is? Are you actually tapping into those things without realizing it, that they're from him? Have you ever asked yourself this? Why do we hate war and oppression and bullying? Why do you value sacred life if you do? Why do you believe in compassion? And they sh you can't just, as a leader of a country, railroad through a smaller, less prosperous country and just say it's yours for the sake of money and greed. Why do you think that if you do? So as we pause to think, what even is a better world that we say that we want and we think about in the two-minute silences or we're grateful that we're part of? How can we carry the torch of goodness in a real way, which isn't plastic and cheesy like loads of the celebrations are at the moment. It's almost like a commercial product now, Remembrance Day, which I think dishonors the people that have died. How can we truly be godness, not just to show others that we care about it, but we don't actually in any meaningful way? Another friend of mine wrote a book. He's a clever chap, and he said this, and I will get to John 15 in a bit, he said this, we're now in a post-Christian society, which perhaps the soldiers wouldn't be too happy about because loads of them were Christian, and particularly in the First and Second World Wars. But now he says we're in a post-Christian society in the West, and it's just like being in a post-industrialization society, a post-industrial society. And he makes the case that everything we see around us that's good at the moment is from Christianity right? Even if we've moved on as a society, we haven't really. It's the basis for everything. And he says this, do you know when the Industrial Revolution was? Some of you will. It was from the 1760s to the 1840s, right? And now, industry is thriving because of that revolution then, that boom. So, you, in today's world, can go from having the basics that the Industrial Revolution secured for you, and now you can branch out, okay? So the freedoms that that industrialization secured for you, you could enjoy and develop from them, except you're not really, because it underpins everything. For example, we've got all this metal and wood and power and now, based from that, you can have a wood burner in your house, can't you? You ever realize that? Or you can be a vegan or something like that and order avocados from Mexico and things like that. Do you see how you're branching out from the basic initial revolution? Um, you can't really switch it off. It's just still there 
It's all predicated on the, revol- the asteroid that hits, and you're going to go home, and you're going to be a post-industrialization, you're going to have a lovely lunch with all stuff on it that people never used to be able to have. Right, stay with me. History, theology, and philosophy, it, it shows quite convincingly, actually, that what we enjoy now, it's like post-Christian, but still really Christian. Christianity has done the hard work of establishing why you value life and why you honor people that died in wars, why you think the person next to you is sacred, why you think murder is horrific, why you think relegating those who are less able is a bad thing, why you want to fight for certain rights and care and value and consent, the stuff the soldiers fought to defend. Now, those principles that you love, and I'm just trying to get us to think here this morning, those are Christian foundations. But now, we've sort of moved on. So, you can take bits of that and make it your own. You can have little prayer groups, and, but in the name of some pagan religion. You can have breathing exercises in the, in the aim to reach some higher place. Um, you can, like the slogan of today on social media amongst young people is this, love is love, kindness is everything. That's like vaguely Jesus-esque, it's, but it's been tweaked a bit. So we've built on the legacy, the asteroid of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a massive part why we grieve today, why we value people. And I'm here in this message to say we need to bring as a church, Jesus into the foreground again, personally and collectively and nationally, because what if we ran out of wood and metal? What if we ran out? We would need to remember where we originally got it from so we could go and get some more. What if we forget, truly forget Jesus and Christianity, and the Christian capital runs out in the West, and we don't know where to turn to get it back. We don't know why things are wrong anymore or why certain things are right, and we entirely forget the asteroid that our whole civilization in the West is built on. And now before the communion table, we come to John chapter 15 that takes us back to the one who truly is good, truly is good, and he's here saying, To die for a friend is the highest virtue. He's been sent by the Father to teach that, so that is a God ethic. And you can even twin it with verse 13 or 12, where he says, love one another as I have loved you. He says in verse 16, produce fruit now that lasts forever. He says in chapter 13, love as I have loved you. The whole of the King James Version, which really shaped the West, is full of things like this. Go from here and be zealous for good deeds. That's Titus. Or Leviticus 19, love your neighbor. Or Galatians 6, let us do good to all people. But, and this is why we've got a communion table this morning, Also in John 15, as we try to wonder, who am I? Am I good? How do I be good? 
we've got this really interesting, fascinating double layer of meaning. Because whilst Jesus espouses true virtue, it also is quite convicting. Because it shows us that we're not actually that virtuous. And we need help. And I think we need the Lord Jesus Christ right in our hearts to be virtuous. Because he shows us what we should be, which shows us what we're not. And we're in a fascinating position in 2023 as a culture in the West where we love certain virtues and principles and expect them and assume them, but we're actually not very good at doing them ourselves half the time. Have you ever found that? What a strange position to be in. Teachers tell me that parents love the idea of discipline in the classroom until it's their kid that is being disciplined. So you've got a fascinating habit of expecting virtues, but we're not very good at accepting them or falling in line or doing them ourselves or thinking our children need them. But everyone listening, everyone listening knows there's wars going on today, not just nationally, but personally. And some of you are going home to domestic horrors. There are crimes being committed in the name of religion. There are work wars, staff room wars, psychological wars, the wars just to get through the day, physical pain and mental pain. And it's really fascinating. In John 15, the context is this. The dream of Jesus for us here this morning is that we love each other as he has loved us. That's the context. That's his dream for you all. But what has he just done? He's washed his disciples' feet, which means he wants us to be utterly servant-hearted for everyone without exception. That's staggering. We're not great at that in and of ourselves. And he's just washed, it's implicit in the text, Judas's feet as well. And there is the highest virtue, to go and love as he has loved us. So here's my questions as we come to the communion table. Are we prepared to do anything that is for someone else's good in an end of itself, not just to get something back from them like he did for Judas? Hands up. Well, you don't have to. I'll do it. Guilty. Guilty. And then you think about Luke chapter 6 where he also says... Love your enemies. Now go and love as I have loved. Do to them good that which hate you. Bless them that curse you. And pray for them that despise you. So on Remembrance Sunday, we lift up the truly godly, ethical, wonderful, sacred Lord Jesus and his principles that we should live out every day to everyone we meet. But we also come to the communion table as those who must confess we need help. Lord, help me today on Remembrance Day to die to myself, because I'm corrupt half the time, if not more than half the time. Send 
your godly spirit into my life so I can start to be more like Jesus. And some of us are really grateful for Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 that says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And we're so grateful that in our fallen nature, Jesus has taken that curse that we deserve and death that we deserve. And the end of John chapter 15, he says, if any of you now call on the Holy Spirit, he'll come as a helper. To do what? To help you be godly and like Jesus. So we come to the communion table as people who long for virtues and need help to be virtuous with grateful hearts that he's died for us lived for us, shown us the heavenly life. So let's really connect with the Lord Jesus Christ at this communion meal. And Tertullian said in the second century about Christians, see how they love one another, how they are even ready to die for one another. Shall we get to that place together as a family at this communion table?